Hi, and welcome to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. In this podcast, I give you ideas, insights, information, and inspiration to help you achieve your potential in business and in life. So let's get stuck into this week's show. Hey folks, this is Dave Drimmy from the Wealthy Wednesday podcast, and I am so excited. My guest today comes from Canada, Toronto, and I'm really, really excited to introduce uh, Michelle Farpong. Um, Michelle, are you there? I am here, Dave. Thank you. Oh, superb. Michelle, I'm truly delighted that uh, you've come to join us because I got hold of your book, People First Culture, last year, and it became a revelation for me because it made so much sense. And I'd like to talk about that today um, because you've got a fascinating background and you've applied everything in the book into what you actually do in business, which is just wonderful. But Michelle, basically, I wonder if you could just possibly share with the people listening to this a little bit about your story, who may not know you, and how you came to writing the book. Well, I am a hospitality professional. I own restaurants, uh, more specifically fast casual restaurants, uh, an industry that isn't recognized for treating their employees well. It's recognized for paying minimum wage, seen as just a job that you have rather than a career. And I wanted to change that. Uh, We have grown throughout the pandemic quite rapidly. Uh, We have phenomenal KPIs that tell us that our customers and our team members really enjoy working with us. But that wasn't always the case. In my early 20s, I was in business school and not an academic. I don't say that proudly, but the classroom is not for me. And I soon realized that uh, after starting my first semester, I think I lasted about three. And then I thought there's got to be another way, not a better way, another way to learn how to grow a company, entrepreneurship. And I found that I worked for a medium-sized company at the time I was living in Vancouver, Canada. And I was was taught at an early uh, part of my career that company culture not only is the foundation of companies we admire as consumers – but it drives profit. Now, to go from company culture to profit, that's a big jump. Uh, there has to be some stepping stones along the way to be able to achieve that profitability. And I do believe in making money. I, I don't like what I'm seeing in this, in villainizing companies for making money. What uh, On the flip side of that coin... I don't like when companies make money by stepping on people, uh, by seeing them as disposable resources. Uh, I like to grow a company, what I believe to be the right way. And whatever I share today or whatever I shared yesterday when I was hosting a keynote for Shell, uh, the oil and gas company, don't follow me or anybody on this podcast blindly. What makes sense for me is rooted rooted in how I want to grow the company. And, and you shouldn't just try to rip off and duplicate everything the next person says. However, with that being said, if there's something that I say or share in my book or today with you, Dave, that is paradigm shifting for you, explore it. It might work for you. But 
Uh, when you're building a company culture, what I've learned throughout my career is that it is, if you are, in my case, the CEO and founder of the company, or if you run your own department within an organization, you should have the autonomy to build it the way that you see fit, so long as you are doing it with high integrity and ethics. Uh, after working for that medium-sized company I mentioned, I started a small boutique consulting agency. Uh, it was just me. Um, you know, I was a solopreneur, um, making incredible money in my mid-20s, being hired by multi-billion dollar companies, uh, I would argue 98% profit margins. It was phenomenal until it wasn't. Uh, you see, I was hired by these companies that were paying me extremely well to learn what I knew about company culture and customer experience management and employee performance. But it got lonely. Um, I wasn't a part of a team anymore. So I wanted to change that, and uh, I did that for about four years from 2012 to 2016. And at the time, I was living in Vancouver, and I moved to Toronto and got into restaurants with my business partners. I had never – I had worked in restaurants before when I was in college, but I'd never been in – I was never in management. I was never the entrepreneur of a restaurant, but I knew that my skills were transferable. Um, when I was consulting, I – was working within biotech companies, automotive, insurance, banking, you name it, I probably worked within it. And surely restaurants, you know, when you think of that and hospitality, it's all culture. It's all guest experience or there isn't anything to see. Like you can't just be product centric in anything that you do. Think of an automotive company. You can have the nicest vehicle, right? The nicest a production of this vehicle but what is that dealership experience like if it falls short of exceptional well the product's not as great anymore why do you think we revere apple and not samsung i would argue that people revere apple more so than samsung one could debate with me dave that samsung's technology their phones are equal to maybe even greater than than an Apple device. But have you ever heard of anybody talking about Samsung's retail customer experience? Never heard of that. Correct. But if you, if you go online and you type in Apple customer experience management or something like this, you're going to see some Harvard Business Review articles. You're going to see some Fast Company articles, uh, publications like this. So I am now in restaurants. I'm now in Fast Casual, as I mentioned, which is the differentiation for those unfamiliar full service restaurants are you're going to sit down, you're going to order a bottle of wine, and we're going to serve you for two hours. Fast casual restaurants are you're going to be in and out in six minutes or at least like order in six minutes. If you so choose to sit down and eat, great. If you take it to your office and eat, so be it. But uh, everything that I do from 2007 until now, 2023, has been centered around building a people first culture, which I wrote a book about in 2018 it was released uh, strategically it was released on my birthday i said i wanted to come out on my birthday um can't remember how old i turned but um everything just comes down to that and uh, the outcome is a phenomenal customer experience one that customers want to see again one where you can sell more to customers because they actually want to buy from you which makes it a profitable healthy business
I love that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, and I completely agree with you. And in fact, talking about Apple, I just found out a couple of weeks ago that um, you go into one of their uh, stores and all the Apple uh, employees uh, working there um, are required to do 40 minutes of um, customer service sales training on a daily basis. Doesn't surprise me. It's just they're professional and they look after people. They ask the right questions. I'm certain that's exactly what you do in your restaurants as well. So, well, think uh, about it. If you wanted to be a healthy human being, you should have some sort of movement for 40, hour, 40 minutes a day, walking, lifting weights, or some sort of hit exercise or, or whatever. So if you want a healthy business, how can we not practice the same? could be 30 minutes, it could be an hour, whatever, as long as it's something that's habitual. You don't just host one customer experience seminar for your employees and not do it every month or in this case every day in some capacity. Um, some companies see it as something on their to-do list and they cross it off and be like, all right, we're done with this company culture stuff. No, it's got to be ingrained into the DNA of the company. It really does. It's not, it can't be hollow. I love that. And it's, it's what I'm learning is so powerful. And um, I just love, love working with the company. So I, I work with a lot of construction companies who are very uh, traditional. We'll just call them sure. traditional. But they're, they're technicians. Today, I had a consultant who's involved in and around about that industry. And we were just talking. I, I just asked the question, so what's your sales process to get new people in? Oh, we're too busy to do that. I went, okay, what's your, what's your process? And she didn't have one. And, oh, we get past referrals and stuff like that. But it seems that it's very, very bitty. So if you can amalgamate culture, not just for employees. I know this this very much is in your book as well. It's about the team culture. It's about the the culture that uh, FFSs into the experience for the for the clients and customers. And, and that as a whole actually grows into profitability as well, isn't it? But a lot of purpose behind what you do. Well... Uh, yes. Uh, the short answer is yes. The long tail answer is if we don't have a strategy to ensure that we have a great customer experience management process in place with tactical things that we do with a strategic plan every single quarter that allows us to be able to build system and process to serve our customers. And if we do not do the same in equal to or greater amounts for our employees, why would we expect anyone to be happy in the workplace? Why would we expect anyone to be happy doing business with us? Imagine my relationship with my fiance. Let's say I took three months off from doing things to foster a relationship. What do you think would happen to that? Our relationship would start to deteriorate at the root of it. Now, you you know, one might be cynical and say, ah, oh, this guy's comparing relationships with strangers or customers to his fiance, the commonality is human behavior. People want to be served, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life, full stop. So once you start thinking of it from that lens, um, you know, that's kind of where that paradigm shift happens. Like you know, when we onboard our employees, new employees, how often are we unorganized in receiving them? They show up, they show up on time. They're excited. Think about it from their perspective. They're excited to join this new company. They told their family members and their friends, right? Maybe they have butterflies in their stomach. Maybe they're a little nervous. And you receive them in an unorganized fashion, right? The person that's supposed to be onboarding them shows up late for their first day. 
How welcoming is that? Um, and then what happens? Oh, here, just this is where you work now. Off you go. And then 30 days from now, we are like, oh, Dave's not getting it. He's not learning fast enough. Well, like, what did you do for Dave to support them? You have to have the training wheels on first, remove them, and allow a Dave to be able to cycle on his own. So it's actually very simple um, if you really think of it from behind a lens of you know humanity and human behavior. What you're sharing here is absolutely fabulous, and thank you very much. I'm just writing a blog post at the moment, and I was trying to think of about it's about how to basically how to attract, hire, and retain fabulous employees. Across multiple sectors, I keep getting the same statements. You know, there's nobody in our sector. We can't hire good people. It's, it, it's the same all over the place. But I also hear things like, oh, I need more bums on seats. Um, or it's just like wrong. So I was thinking that when you bring people into a business, it's like, it's like uh, I grew up on a farm. So it's like, ha it's like having fertile soil into which you plant you know, high quality seeds, then you nurture them, and only then can you harvest. Would you agree with that? Or maybe is there something that you would add to it? Well, there's a couple of things that you just said that I'm going to disagree with, with the individuals that are saying this. There's, I can't find good quality people. Yeah, you can. You either, your company either doesn't have inspirational leadership, or you just have a run of the mill company culture. Why would anybody want to work here? What's your, what's your value proposition as an employer? Oh, cause you pay people and you pay them on time. Legally, you have to do that, right? So that can't be the only laurel you rest on. Um, second, I need more bums and seats. No, you don't. You just need higher quality people coming to work for you. I have this, I learned this lesson called talent density in a Netflix book I read. And um, talent density essentially means uh, pay people more, have less people because each individual is like equal to one and a half people. So you actually can afford to pay more. And that's what's working for me at Brasa Peruvian Kitchen. That's my newest hospitality company and, and fast casual restaurant brand. Um, and then when it comes to the nurturing of the soil, yeah. You, you need to find great people and create some sort of mechanism or format for people to actually grow within it. Now, that could mean grow with or without your company. I'll give you an example. Uh, I would be, we have two individuals, uh, Natalie and Vanessa. They both started with us as part-time team members earning $18 an hour. One of them, they both in less than one year, they now earn $60,000 um, a year from 18 an hour and one of them is just about to be promoted to $70,000 a year. Wow. Um, now that makes me feel good. I, you know, was able to be a part of creating this environment that allows people to, you know, help secure their livelihood. They get to go on that vacation. Maybe they weren't able to afford, you know, before, maybe they can support their family. That makes me feel good as the, the founder and CEO of my company. However, if I had a team member named Dave, who joined the company, did excellent work, and then came to me and said, Michelle, can I have coffee with you? And then during that coffee, Dave says, hey, I'm leaving the company. I'm starting my own business. Assuming Dave offboards himself in a, in a you know, manner that's of integrity and you know, thinks of the company on his way out, maybe tries to train his replacement, I will be, as e I will be equally as happy for Dave as I will Vanessa and Natalie. Because if you're going to create this environment of growth and foster this culture of learning, 
you have to be okay with people leaving and seeing your company as a stepping stone to that growth. Dave will look fondly on his time at Brass Improving Kitchen. Dave may even see it like his alma mater, the university he went to. Um, and that's just good business. Fantastic. There's a company called NutriQuest who are like health bars. I've heard of the company. I don't know much about them, though, but I've, I've heard of the company. So I, I, I was watching uh, the first time I came across a lady called Carol Dweck, who wrote the book Mindset. She was being interviewed by the, the, the founder of NutriQuest. And he said something very similar to what you just said, Michelle, actually. He said, we have uh, an industry which is huge. Um, and my whole goal is to grow people that are going to impact the industry. So when people come through our company and they want to go off into other companies or start their own, I love the fact that they've come through our organization because they're being trained to be the best and they can impact more lives. So what you've just said there is really very, very similar. So it seems to me that it's like the lily in a pond if you can create good people, then you're creating good experience. Your competitive outlets, maybe, but at least people are going to get, you know, the consumer like me who's not in your industry is going to get a wonderful experience. And that can help bolster the whole whole industry. So that's what I'm hearing there. Is that in the back of your mind as well? Yeah, I would align my thoughts with that. Like, it, it, it just can't be, a, be about money. Like... You know, listen, my investors might listen to this podcast and hear me say that money is an outcome. Profitability is an outcome of doing the things that we're talking about here. I absolutely believe in having a great bottom line and profitability for investors, uh, the ability to grow organically, open more stores in my case. But how we go about doing it has to be able to serve us for 10 years. I can't just be living quarter over quarter. I'm not a publicly traded company, but I want, I have the ability as a private company to think long term. Um, and the difference between privately held companies and publicly traded companies is publicly traded companies have to think quarter over quarter. You know, you take Amazon for an example, they were unprofitable for like a decade, but they were building for the future and look at them now. I remember everybody would be like, say what you build about Amazon as an employer or whatever, but it is a once in a lifetime company that was built and they jeff bezos himself said it we're willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time and part of that is like we're going to be unprofitable for 10 years but then when we turn on a couple switches here you'll see the profitability come now with that being said i bring this up as an example because they don't pound uh kind of this drum anymore but their first mission statement was to be Earth's most customer-centric company. And they created systems and processes for individuals like Dave and I to be able to do that. Again, say what you will about the company. Everybody has an opinion, but they really did put the customer first. And now if you think of another example um, of the company that I used to work for uh, would be recognizable in North America. It's a 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Uh, in short, uh, if Dave has a television and a sofa that he wants to get rid of his uh, from his home or his office, you call this company. They're like FedEx. They come, they pick it up, and they discard it for you for a fee. Um, they are based off of uh, company culture. This is where I learned everything that I know today. It was kind of the basis of it, and their slogan is, it's all about the people. Hmm. 
they're a profitable company, but notice how they don't say it's all about the money. It's all about the profit, right? So yeah, I, I just, it's more rewarding for me to, like when I look at a P&L and I see a profit, great. I celebrate for three and a half seconds and I get back to work. It's a fleeting joy because I expect it. This is fascinating, actually, and I'm so delighted. This is the uh, you're the final guest in this series of people people first culture because what I'm hearing is um, with some of our other guests, Michelle, have basically said the same thing. Our employees are looking for a home where they can thrive and grow, and they can fulfil their potential, whether that's on the Maslow's hierarchy and they want to achieve their full potentiality, or if they just want belonging then that's fine. We give people a home within a wonderful environment. And I genuinely believe with the shift of the pandemic, you mentioned that earlier on, but the shift of the pandemic, it's almost like culture of the mind has shifted. We're not putting up as human beings with some of the antics of employers of the past. So for me, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. Thank you very much. The question I've got for you is this, and I know you're, you're incredibly busy today. Um, so I want to try and unpack this a little bit because you've shared so many gems and insights there. But So say, for example, somebody listening to this, this podcast has recently started up a business, or they, they've got an existing business, Michelle. What are the steps? And obviously, there's a book here, People First Culture, folks. You definitely buy this book. But what would be the steps going into a business to help that business utilize a people-first culture to increase profit? Because too many businesses that I come across are driven by accountants, and it's all about spreadsheets and bottom line. What would be the steps that you would take? I'll just leave it at that, and you possibly can guide us through A to Z. There's no one-size-fits-all answer because each company is in a different maturity phase. But let's just assume that they're not known for any of this. This is as bad as you can get, let's say. Uh, there's a toxic culture or maybe even no culture, which could be even worse than uh, equal to or worse than uh, having a toxic culture. Show me your P&L and I will tell you what matters to you the most. That is the first thing that I'm going to look at. What do you budget for? The lion's share of companies, you're going to see a budget for PR, for marketing, all these traditional growth strategies. What are you investing in to build your culture? If there's nothing there, well, you're going to have to find the budget. Michelle, we have no money. Yes, you do. You're just choosing to spend it somewhere else. And that's fine. Nobody should criticize you for how you run your business. So be it that you're you know, paying your taxes and you are doing things ethically. But don't say you don't have the budget to do it when you're just choosing to spend it somewhere else. If you're willing to go down a new path, well, start shifting some budgets around. Scrape a little bit from here, scrape a little bit from there, and now you have a budget. Okay, well, what do I do next? Because it's, it, it typically is always starts there. Is I don't have the time. I don't have the money. You have the time. You're just choosing to spend it somewhere else. And same with the money um, and the funds to be able to budget for certain things. Next, let's say, where is the bleeding happening? What are some quick wins? Where is the pain? So what are the key reasons why individuals don't want to work for you? Or why is there a rampant turnover in your organization? Identify those, list them all out. Start with the one that you can fix the fastest. 
that doesn't require six months in strategy because you want to gain some momentum, right? If you start with the thing that's most labor intensive and you don't see the fruits of your labor for six to nine months, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to say, there's no ROI here. It's just going to take forever. You want to have a snowball effect. You want to gain momentum. You want to build that snowball. So start with something that you're like, you know what, we could change this. Now, I can't give an exact um, example for everybody, but let's just say we're not good at screening for culture fit or customer-centric individuals. We need to tighten up our interview process because why are we letting these individuals in our company in the first place? Dave, I'm going to assume though, here's, here's one thing. I'm going to assume that the leadership team of this organization that wants this organizational change is also culture-centric, is also customer-centric, and they exemplify that. Nothing will save you if the leadership team isn't cut from that cloth. Good luck. It'll never happen. You know, same reason why, as a child, I wanted to watch my parents brush their teeth and floss their teeth. You know, monkey see, monkey do, right? You guys, from there, uh, you know, stop the bleeding, right? Just like any wound. Now, there's a flesh wound that needs healing. Stop the bleeding, do some things, fix the flesh wound. What structural things do we need to do to be able to prevent this negativity into our culture or this turnover to stop happening for the long term? Because stopping the bleeding is going to help in the short term. Long term, you need to fix the flesh wound. And there's no one size fits all, right? It could be a lack of learning and development, customer-centric training for new team members. Uh, It could be we don't know anything about our customers, We need to interview our customers and really get to know them intimately. Why do you even buy from us in the first place? What do you love? What don't you love? What do you wish we did more of? Um, Here's an interview question I love for customers and for employees. Tell us the words that you use to describe our company with your friends and family. Those words should be, if they're coming from employees, those words must be on your careers page on your website. Those words from your customers must be on the homepage of your website because that's what I call a customer intelligence from your current customers. And if your current customers feel this way, don't you think prospective customers, ones that aren't doing business with you, will have that uh, same desire for those unique value propositions that you have? It's a loaded question you asked me, Dave, but I hope I was, and, and there, again, there's no one size fits all for every company, um, but but I, I'm a big proponent of gain some momentum first before you do this structural overhauling. Uh, you need um, the individuals that are watching you create this change, the people in the organization, they need to see, oh, it's working and it's working quickly. Oh, I like this change. People are resistant to change more often than not until they see that it is good for them. I think what you've what you've shared there is really important, but it's a very much a top-down exercise. You have to have people walking the walk, talking the talk, believing that they should be serving the customers, the clients, because then there's a really good fit. And I think there are there are people who run businesses who just don't think like that. I don't even think they're capable of thinking like that, actually, which yeah. is really, really sad. 
Because I know you and I both have very similar core values when it actually comes down to service to others, which is probably why I love your book and love having this conversation. So the leader I, I am today is, you know, it's because of my parents. I really do believe that um, for me, at least I'm only speaking for myself. I remember my dad telling me at a young age, he said, whatever you do, don't ever work at a casino please. And I said, why? He's like, it's like being a drug dealer. You're selling stuff that's ruining people's lives to make money. And I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And those little lessons back then, I was like, what the hell? Like, I'm sure I just thought, all right, dad, whatever, playing video, back to playing video games or whatever I was doing. But I'm just sharing it with you now. I'm 37. I think he told me that when I was like 14. Well, we could come back on here and talk about uh, benevolent leadership another time, but that's a whole different book. (laughs) Another book I have in me. I I have to find the time to write it. Um, Well, listen, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating what you're saying. I know you're on uh, your uh, time starved today. So I saw something on LinkedIn recently that you got some secret sauce that's coming out quite soon. I think the 6th of March. I'll tell it. By the time this is released, it's probably it's going to be out. So on March 6, 2023, I'm doing something that many people have warned me against or they said, maybe not warned me against, but they said, Good luck. If you're still standing, maybe I will try it too. So, you know, go take uh, go take the arrows and harpoons first and tell us how it goes. But um, a lot of companies claim to be transparent, but they don't talk about pay. No. If you talk about pay with your colleagues and your peers, uh, we will punish you. You know, I'm very, uh, you know, my fiance and I are transparent about our financial situation. Um, so why can't we bring that into the workplace? Let's just... We, we already talk about it. Your team members already talk about it. So stop turning your back on that and pretending like they don't. Uh, I look at professional athletes. You can know who what your peer makes. It's, yeah. you know, competitive environments. Very easy. That's Googleable. Uh, you can search that on Google. So uh, on March 6th, we're releasing a, an internal document called uh, People First Pay Transparency. And everybody's name and salaries and wages will be profiled, including my own. Um, and the uh, picture a Google sheet with a bunch of columns here, you know, your first and last name, what is your role in the company, where do you work, like what store or at head office, what did you earn when you first joined the company, what do you earn now? And then the last column and the most important is what we're calling the team member journey. It is a paragraph with great detail and why is it that dave earns what he earns why is it that michelle earns what he earns and so forth so it's a description of how this person came to be so if dave looks at his manager he's like wow my manager makes that i want that what do i have to do well read the last column this is what they did if somebody says hey why does Joey earn more than me? I'm in the same position. Go read the column. And if you want to debate it, and if you feel like I shouldn't earn as much as Joey, talk to your manager. Say, hey, on December, you know, in December, I got four customer reviews that specifically meant, you know, my customer experience efforts were recognized. We have systems and processes to track everything that all of our team members do that will uh, do well so that we know. But there could be an argument. You know, the manager may say, you know what? You're right. You should earn as much as Joey. We're going to have a conversation in two weeks. Let's have a meeting. Let's talk about it. 
just adjust it. Um, I've thought about this. I first wanted to do this since 2009. It's 2023. I've been sitting and waiting to be in the right position to do it. Now is the time. Fantastic. Really fantastic. And time's against us today. Otherwise, I would have asked you about um, employee KPIs, etc. But what I'm really, really keen to do, actually, and uh, Michelle, is um, basically help people. How can people learn a little bit more about you? Because you've got some really interesting stuff going on, right? You know, this is the, this is the great thing about having such a unique name. I'm not familiar with another Michelle Falcon on this planet. Um Go to Google, type in my first and last name. You're going to run into something. My YouTube channel, my web, personal website, my company, my Twitter. Go there. You'll see my book there. And then, you know, engage however which way you want to engage with me. Say hi. I love love meeting people that uh, believe in the same things that I believe in and, and even want to debate, perhaps. Um, you know, just be kind. Well, I just think it's absolutely amazing what you're doing. I what I love is you're making an impact on the world. You're really making a dent and you're getting people thinking about really just working in a completely different manner. And you're thinking about, well, it's people first culture. And I can't thank you enough. I should thank you. You reached out to me. You bought the book. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Hey, I'm just a guy with a few thoughts. And sometimes okay. people like these thoughts. Um but uh, I, I appreciate any. I appreciate you. I appreciate anybody listening, even for thirty seconds. I. It's very flattering that anybody cares at all to hear what I have to say. Well, listen. One thing, folks. If, when when you're listening to this, please listen again because there's so many insights in this, and please share this with as many people as possible. But Michelle's first name is M I C H E L, and then last name is F A L C O N. So it's Michelle. F A L C O N. That's like correct. the bird. Yeah, like the bird flying oh, high. The so, bird, yes. Thank Michelle, you, Dave. Thank you so much. I just really, um, I thoroughly enjoyed this because it's it's really helped me to learn a bit more about you, but also just the whole aspect of bringing culture into an organisation. And I, like you, want businesses to flourish so that the 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 team and colleagues within businesses can flourish, and the business owner can flourish as well because. They, I see so many people who are just burdened uh, running a business and it's such a crying shame. And you touched earlier on about being alone and changing. And so many business owners I come across are very much alone, but seems like you've got the balance now with your team and inclusivity. And if we can just, if we can impact a few people out there who listen to this and they can change and they can create the life you've got then, I think we'll have done a great job together. Thank you, Dave. You're welcome. Folks, listen, this is Dave. Uh, Dave Dremmy signing off from the Wealthy Wednesday podcast. I genuinely hope you listen to this again. And please share Michelle's message that you've heard today with as many people as you can. He's an amazing man. I appreciate the friendship. And uh, one day I look forward to uh, meeting him in person. So, Michelle, take care. Thank you. Likewise. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. Check the show notes below for further details on this week's episode, including links to resources mentioned in the show. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you'll find us on Apple, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. See you next week.